Hi everyone and welcome to The Other Room. My name is Aurelu Aleshi or Ore as my friends and family call me. The Other Room is a podcast that features conversations with exceptional African women who are defining and redefining their roles in life. These are women who are charting their work and life journeys with purpose. We will look at their career trajectory, the challenges they have had along the way, and the things they have learned on the path to where they are now. I hope that my guest stories will help reaffirm that you are where you are meant to be, and if not, will encourage you to make important decisions about your next steps. And here we are, the final episode of the first season of my podcast, The Other Room. It feels like just yesterday when I had the idea to start the podcast. I started off with my best friend Yetunde, and who better to end the season with than a woman who I admire very much. My mother, Dr. Olatokumbo Shomolu. She's a woman of many firsts. She graduated top of her class at the University of Lagos with a degree in civil engineering. She is the first woman to have a PhD in any field of engineering in Nigeria. Um, She's also the first um, woman to head the engineering and technology division of the Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation, NNPC. And so it goes on and on and on. Um, This conversation was really interesting. Although she's my mom and I've known her all my life and I thought I knew everything about her, um, I realized that I didn't. I learned um, a few new things from our discussion. Um, So this was one podcast interview that I really enjoyed and I hope that you'll enjoy it too. Thank you, mommy, for coming on the podcast. Um, it's um, an honor to have you on. So let's start with your childhood. Can you tell us about um, your growing up? Where did you grow up? Um, just tell us a bit about your early years. I was born 11th October 1950. I was born in Yaba, Lagos. And that's where I grew up most of my early years. That's where I spent them. So we, I grew up, um, I started off with both my father and my mother, a late engineer, Baba Femi, Herbert Olushola, and my mother, Mrs. Patience Abba Olushola, both of blessed memory. Uh, my father was a, 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 what we call at that time, a building contractor, and my mother was a a very big dressmaker, what you now call fashion designer. So I grew up in Yaba area. I attended, the first school I attended was Ideal Girls School. That was like a kindergarten school owned by the late uh, Mrs. Dedeke, one of the very early, 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 maybe one of the very few uh, preschools in Lagos at that time. Uh, it was a rare thing to find. Then I went on to the primary school. Lagos Anglican Girls School, Broad Street, Lagos. Uh, it's it's an Anglican school, and uh, it was uh, you know a, a, a very uh, it was therefore what you call at that time you know the cream de la cream. You know, just a few schools like that of that caliber. 
So I was in Anglican Girls School, and that's where I was for my primary school. I completed my primary school in 1962, and then I went on to the secondary school. By the way, I grew up with two brothers. There were three of us, two older brothers, one six years older, the other four years older than I was, and I was um, the youngest and the only girl. And of course, you know, my mother was delighted to have a girl. And I remember that all her apprentices, she had, you know, large revenue of apprentices learning the sewing. And I remember they all used to look after me. And they, so really I had so many nannies at that time. I was really protected as a child. So throughout my uh, primary school, I was, uh, I enjoyed the protection. And they were, they were all females. So really, I I did not feel alone with the with my brothers because there were maybe two or so of them living with us at that time. Uh, two of them of the apprentices living full time with us at that time, and I I did very very well in school. It was just just my natural endowment. I didn't really have to do any extra classes. As a matter of fact, I used to gather children in my in the neighborhood to teach them you know like a teacher you know, at, at that very young age so naturally i was not surprised when i got a scholarship on merit to go into a queen's college yaba so i was in queen's college yaba from 1963 to 1969 my first school living uh, school living uh, all levels exams school sets we call it then was uh, in 1967 and then, um, 68 and 69, it was the higher school certificate, which we used to do at that time. And then I, I, I obtained my higher school certificate from Queen's College. Uh, I must say that I was on scholarship throughout because I went in on merit on scholarship and um, I was on scholarship throughout. And even for my higher school, I was uh, also on, on scholarship. I... Uh, my, my final year was the head girl, uh, the head girl of the school, and uh, that was my first um, uh, my first level of uh, success, obvious success, because it was an elective position. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that the teachers chose us, the students voted. Mm -hmm. We had quite a bit of democracy, and I remember I collected maybe 90% of the votes of the votes <laughs> cast in the school wow. at that time, yes. And um, my head girls year was quite successful mm -hmm. under the late Mrs. Uh, Virginia Fujoke Koka, who impacted uh, quite significantly on me because she was quite a disciplined person. Mm -hmm. And uh, living in um, Queen's College, I went to the University of Lagos. Living in Queen's College, um, I, I was obviously from the schools, I was inclined to the sciences. I felt very comfortable with maths, physics, you know, chemistry. I loved all the subjects. In fact, I, I liked all my subjects, mm -hmm. though I had more of a fear for the science subjects. But I remember I did French, I got an A1. I did geography, I got an A1 in school science. You know, all my subjects, I did very well. But then I knew I was really heavily inclined towards the sciences. Mm -hmm. So in a, in, when, um, at that time, mobile oil was trying to encourage girls to do engineering. Mm -hmm. I remember they had a program, so they, you know, came to school to 
offer to give some people scholarships. So my name was one of the, I think, the four names uh, nominated at that time, or given to them by the principal of the college. So went for some, you know, uh, exams or tests, and uh, I matched the the one that was given. So I went into the University of Lagos. By the way, at that time we didn't have jump. I'm talking about uh, the early 1970 because we finished my higher school in 1969. So I think it was in 1970, and I remember that um, uh, I got admission into. The three universities I applied into University of Lagos, Amadou Bilu, Zaria, and Asuka. And I now chose to go to University of Lagos because that was quite near my home, mm -hmm. very close and comfortably close to my home. By the way, my brothers had gone to America at that time, but I opted to wait at home. Probably, you know, the girl thing, just being close to my mother, and probably not being, not wanting to be, I was not adventurous enough mm. to go abroad and, and, you know, be on my own. So it, it was okay for me. Still. Mm -hmm. So I had a mobile scholarship throughout my university. And um, I did very well too. I was the, I came, I graduated top of my class. Mm -hmm. When I went to the University of Lagos, I applied to do electrical engineering because I thought oh, it was the easiest of the lot. Easiest in terms of, yes, you have to be brilliant, you have to be, you know, quite, um, um, you know, you have to love the sciences, yes. Yeah. but. There were lots of, uh, um, the, 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 my perception at that time was that you would not have to do too much of uh, outside, outside, you know, physical work. And that was why I did not opt for a mechanical, where you have to work with engines and things like that. And or civil, where I knew that we have to go into buildings, foundations, you know, erection of edifices. But then as whatever I would have it, the first year was a general engineering course. I did the general engineering course in, um, in the first year, that was, I went in, in September 1970, and I, in 71, ah, I just discovered that ah, the drawings they were giving us in the electrical side, these electrical circuits were so much, really, it was because I just mentally blocked, you know, to, I was just, I had this mental blockage, because it was easy, really, it wasn't anything difficult. But then I just said, oh, these are too many lines, too many dots, too many crosses, so I said, I better go and do Civil engineer. Five years later, people ask me, well, was it because your father was a civil engineer? I said, you know, really, no. Yes, I knew he was a civil engineer. He was a builder at that time. He studied in the United Kingdom. But really, I wasn't even thinking about him because I never went to sites with him. Mm -hmm. I was just imagining what they were doing. Okay, when you want to build a house, you know, all that is a bit rough and, you know, dirty. Mm -hmm. But he didn't even have any. But just now, at the end of the first year, I just said, look, let me go and do civil engineering. Mm -hmm. So that's how I went into the civil engineering mm -hmm. uh, uh, course. And mm -hmm. then I graduated in 1973, top of my class. Mm -hmm. And we were the first set for Nigerian, uh, no, NYSC, yeah. Youth Service Corps. So national, the National Youth Service Corps. Uh, there was a lot of resistance, Alima's go era. Well, we went. We went and I, I was posted to Sokoto. But there was resistance to you going to, to everybody, to us doing youth court at all in Nigeria. Why was that? All the university students, they didn't go. It was a new thing. 
You have to leave your place of abode, your natural environment, your natural habitat, and you have to go somewhere else far, you know, because they wanted us to now start integrating, mm. to now start knowing other parts of Nigeria. It was all in a bid to produce this oneness in Nigeria. But it didn't go down well with students, naturally, and uh, being a novel thing, it didn't go down well at all. So we are protest, protest, protest. But on the long run, I remember Madhu Ali was the Minister of Education, if I remember at that time. He said, ah, you know, Ali must go, Ali must go. That is that they should sack him. You know, he should leave because he was the one promoting that. But Ali didn't go, so we had to go and do the Yuko. So I was posted to Sokoto. And in Sokoto, I, you know, after the initial orientation, we did the orientation in one of the federal government colleges. Quite an experience that was. Quite, quite, quite an experience because I never been to the north. And then I went all the way to Sokoto. Mm. It was very, very hot. There were lots of flies. And honestly, it was not so not so comfortable initially. But you know, we settled in, we got here as young people. Mm. We settled in, they gave us, you know, nice bungalow, we it took a room, mm. the girls. And so I started working in the water world. Suddenly one day, three months into the my stay in Sokoto, I got a call from the NYC director that they should look for me, come and call they said, oh, they give me uh, I should come back to Lagos. I said, Whatever for? Mm. <laughs> Why should I go back to Lagos? You know, we we're here, we we're supposed to be here for about eleven months. Mm -hmm. He said I was to go, go back and do uh, postgraduate studies because I was the first in my um I chopped my engineering class. That time the university was trying to develop its postgraduate school. So they just picked some people who did very well. I was top of my class, so they picked some others that didn't go. They didn't go back. They opted to just finish. But I guess I went back because I thought it was not really a bad idea to do a master's program. Though I did not apply for it, I had never thought about it. But really, it wasn't totally out of my out of my 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 capability mm. so i just went i prayed i prayed i prayed i shouldn't go and then i don't i don't get anything out of it so but i went so i went i came back to lagos about three months after going to sokoto then i went to the university of lagos started the, my postgraduate studies uh, on both scattered bridges supervised by late professor adikola and so, at the end of the first year, they said, oh, you know, we should write for, um, that was 74. said, oh, you know, now write for a PhD, that the work we are doing is so, is uh, something that is uh, quite significant. Research has not been done anywhere before. It was, a, it was quite a bit of, you know, a, a tedious research. Because doing research was not, um, was not a common thing at that time. Was in Nigeria. Research in, Nigeria. in the sciences, research in engineering. Research in engineering, research. Yeah, this in engineering. Mm. I don't know about other abstract things, but for the one that we had to, you know, build this the model of this bridge, I remember it was Doman Long, Mrs. Doman Long, you know, builders of who were building steel that helped us to build it at that time. It was quite a but I stuck to it, you know, once I started something. I just believe that anything, if I started it, you lay your hands upon the blood, don't look back, you know, do it. So I was asked to do that for PhD, and that's how I landed in my PhD in 1978. I, I rounded it up about 77. Mm -hmm. Professor Parks, who was the vice chancellor of the 
Imperial College, University of London, was my external assessor. Okay. I had to go there for a while and then, you know, go, he, he also came back here. Okay, so he went the, to London yes, for a while. Yes, and then he came back. He came here to go do the oral, okay. which we call the, 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 the uh, Viva, mm -hmm. or Viva, so people call it mm. at that time. So when I was awarded the degree, in 1978, so my degree, my certificate bears June, June 1978, okay. that I was awarded the degree. And that made you the first Nigerian woman to yes. have a PhD? Yes, ah, in any field of in engineering. engineering. People have done engineering, they have, some have done electrical before us, and uh, by the way, there was another, when, when, when I went to the University of Lagos, there were two of us, one, both doing the general engineering course. Mm. But the other lady eventually went on to do electrical while I went on to do civil. Okay. So in our graduating class, there was one electrical on, on civil. But all I'm saying is that even before us, mm -hmm. there had been sprinkling, electrical, electrical, there was one mechanical. Who studied it at civil, the undergraduate level? Studied it at the first degree level. Okay. They were all the first degree. I think maybe one or two, if I remember, went on to master's and then in electronics. In, I remember, you know, few in maybe two or three mm. in electronics. Well none had done a PhD. And even for a long time after I did mine, yeah, quite a long time before anybody else did. Now you have quite a number. But when we say even quite a number, you probably will not even get uh, you know twenty people mm. uh, who have done it so far. And I, I got that degree in nineteen seventy eight, which is uh, how many years ago? You know, Over 40. exactly. That's really impressive. The first Nigerian mm. woman to have a PhD mm. in any field of engineering. That's mm. really, really impressive. Mm. Do you um, feel what was the gender um, ratio in your engineering class? Yes, like I said, I was the, in my civil engineering class. I was yes. the only female. The others were boys. And then, of course, I said there was one lady who did electrical mm -hmm. in her own class. She was the only one. And so you found that. Um, yeah, I was the only female. How big was the class? The class was uh, probably a class of uh, maybe 40. Okay. Not more than that. Okay. Yes, maybe 40, electrical 40. They, they, they were admitting just about that figure at that time. Okay. You know, so we all literally knew each other. But the thing what helped me was maybe my own natural brilliance. Mm. Because I did well in school. And usually when you do well, when you are not you know, lagging behind, you get the admiration and the respect of people. Mm. So... The boys, they just respected me. And then the university was different at that time. People were a lot more decent. You know, you know these decadence that had come into the world was not there then. People had a lot of respect for people, mutual respect. And even more so, you did so well, and I was doing so well. Oh, they respected me. A lot of them would come and collect my notes to, to, to rise, because they, maybe they would go off to a party, debate the boys and come back in the morning, you know, that kind of thing. So that that was it. Mm, so you didn't experience any no, no. one looking down on you because ah, you were no, no, a woman, no. and they asked him, ah, "What are you doing in this class?" No, 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 no. Because I, I, I did, I did so well, mm. and then I, you know, so I, I had the confidence. I was, I entered with confidence, and I left with confidence. That helped me a lot, mm. and that's why I always tell younger people now, especially the students now that um, able to run a school. Tell students, especially the girls, just do well. Once you do well, whatever it is will find you out. Mm -hmm. But the first thing is to do well on your own steam, not yes. anybody helping you, not you know doing funny things to pass an exam. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I always tell, tell them when you do well, when you do well, you know, you will add other things, other things will, will, they will follow. 
Okay, so then after you did your, your PhD, after you completed your PhD, then um, did you complete your NYSC? Oh, yes, I did. I did. Okay. I went back. Well, I went back completion of my PhD, I went into to lecture at the College of Technology, Yaba. I was lecturing strength of materials and theory of structures. But a year into my lectureship, I knew that I had to go and complete my NYSC. Because, let me put it this way, as soon as I had wrapped up my thesis, I started my lecturing job. I had not been awarded at that time. So when I got the award in that 1978, then in 1979, I went to complete my NYC. But this time I didn't go back to Sokoto. Yeah. I completed it in Lagos because at that time I was now married. Yeah. So they allowed married people to be where their families and yeah. their husbands were. So I, I was married at that time, got married in 1975. And so we're talking about 1978 now. Mm -hmm. So I was able to stay in Lagos. But this time I went, I, I, I left the lecturing because I wanted a taste of another side of life. I went in to work with a group of consulting engineers consulting structural engineers. So I was able to go to the site with them. I was able to read drawings. They taught me, you know, the drawings, which we had not done much before that time. And, um, you know, I got to learn how to read drawings. And I got to go to the site with them, attend site meetings. What was the experience and, like? Was it as rough as you had Yes, yes I mean, sometimes, yes, pretty rough. Mm -hmm. Pretty rough because, I mean, when you go to a site, Hey, you didn't know what to find there because the foundation everywhere was rough. But you were you had to be dressed ready for it. I mean, you were not going to wear anything fancy. You just wore basic, you know, items. And then you went to the site. You know, you have to. Uh, I had to concentrate more while I was there. And I knew that I wasn't going to do it forever. So I knew that at that time it was just for a period of nine months. So it was okay. It was doable. Okay, so and then after you completed your NYC there, what did you do next? I, I went back into my lecturing job. Okay. Because I was already lecturing. So and I was in lecturing job for another three years. Until 1982, when I now said, oh, lecturing, what will I achieve at the end? Uh, do I want to re go into real academics? I knew that there was not too much of a chance of to do good research here in Nigeria unless I wanted to relocate. Another time, my husband had a, at least a boarding career in the power industry. He had no intention of relocating abroad. So we we're both comfortable being here. So I just thought, look, let me go into another aspect of engineering. I don't lecturing, consulting. I knew I was not going to do research. Because you can see, even from that time, you know, I'm talking about 1982, the time I made my move out of the teaching profession. Eighty-two up till now, mm. you can see that even things were even better at that time. Mm. Because right now, even the, all the equipment, I'm talking about engineering, there's really no, no, no physical minimum for research. People who do abstract things, I'm not maybe about maybe people who do social studies and psychology, philosophy, probably they are propounding theories, you know, from mm. there, but. Um, you know, doing things on human development and human behavior and all that. But when you talk about engineering, the real, the thing is even at the lowest level now. Lower than it was. Yes, at that time we even still had equipment in our laboratories because we had a lot of support from 
I remember the Russians really supported our own engineering faculty in the University of Lagos. Mm -hmm. And I believe there were other foreign bodies that supported other engineering schools in Amadou Bello, Zaria, and uh, probably in Nusuka, and then at, I think uh, later on in Abafemi Ulo University, Ife, it used to be University of Ife at that time. But if you look at it now, it's even worse. So really my prediction was right. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it now, lecturers are forever, you know, on strike right. and all that. So God just put it in my mind. Look, this lecturing thing, you have become head of the civil engineering department and in the Yaba College of Technology, make your move. So at that time, I made my move into the Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation. True, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all-based industry, but it has all facets of engineering involved. Because they put on structures, so many structures, civil engineers, mechanical engineers, chemical engineers, you know, working in different parts of the of the of the of the industry, of the oil industry. So it was good experience for me. And it was a good move at that time. Okay. So um, can you tell us what um, your work was like in NMPC, what were you doing? Um, you were a civil engineer there. Mm, what kind mm. of uh, projects were you working um, on? Mainly, we worked on building projects. We had to build for the industry. We had to build. Some people took part in doing civil aspects of the refineries and petrochemicals. Okay. But me, being a, a, a civil structural engineer, and that's what I did my PhD, I did projects, building projects, office building projects, housing estates. Uh, later on, of course, our headquarters uh, building in Abuja. Then we did some other things, floating fuel station. That one was not strictly even civil. It had really very little to do with civil. But because it was a, it was a building project, and because we were going to use Julius Baja at that time, Julius Baja here in Nigeria is mainly a civil structural, and they do roads and other infrastructures. So we did all that. Why well, I, I did four of our first projects were the headquarters building in in Ekufuabayomi, which belonged to the inspectorate. It's still part of the oil industry. We did also a Portakot office building, and we did a. Takot Housing Estate, a Wari Housing Estate, which is like, it's a whole town almost. And they were exciting and they took me to many, many parts of Nigeria. And then one of the most taxing ones is the NPC head office building in Abuja, which has four towers, uh, which is a really, really huge project. Mm. Because the four towers are, you know, different. The, the, the tops are the same, but all the bottom parts are all different uh, configurations. And so it was a really, 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 really challenging job. Because the building. land was sloping? Yes, I said the land was sloping. Yes. So some of these had 17 floors because of the, you know, uh, the slope of the land. We had to make use of it. So other parts were just 12 floors. Some parts were 17. Mm. Other part was 15. Mm. So it was quite a complex design. We used two big contractors at that time to do it. One was Gkapa, an Italian company. And the other was Buig, a French company. Okay. So they did two, two towers, and we had to merge it in the middle. Mm. It was quite complex. And now it's something that I will forever be happy that I was a, a, the project manager to do it. You know? mm. it it's, it gave me quite a lot of um, respect. 
in the in the industry. And then the floating fuel stations, which was not, as I said, not strictly engineering, but it was just the I think the management of it, and then the design. We had to go and do the designs in Germany. It was not the usual everyday thing. So you know, we had to go and do it. In okay. Can you actually? It was quite exciting. It sounds it. Can you explain the difference between um, the builder, the civil engineer, and then the architects? What's, what do they do and how do they work together? The, the, the architect is quite different because the architect is a conceptualization. A client will tell the architect, this is what I want, and then the architect will draw it and sketch it. The, the civil engineer designs, when you see designs, sees how much of cement, how much of sand, how much of iron. The architect would have done the configuration, this is how it's going to look. But the, 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 the civil engineer will now take the drawings and interpret it to say, I'm going to put this uh, iron bars here, I'm going to use the cement here, I'm going to use the concrete here. And then the builder is the one who actually puts it together. The civil engineer almost oftentimes is a builder. Because, you know, I do the, uh, I know what I want to do. The architect will be supervising to make sure that the thing is coming out the way he has uh, envisaged it, he has, he has, you know, he has specified. But between the civil engineer and the builder, a builder is not necessarily a civil engineer. Some people will build just interpreting the drawings. Okay. But the civil engineer will be able to produce the actual drawings mm. from the sketches of the architect. Mm. Mm. So ideally, you need so the, the civil architect. engineer has to, you know, have experience. Yes, the architect will do the conceptualization. Yeah. We translate the dream of the client into paper. Okay. Yes. And then you bring it to life. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. So a builder can be one who can just interpret the building and build it mm. without necessarily designing it. So we find the building, the building construction. That's what they do. Yeah. But we, we just did everything together. Mm. Okay, so you um, rose to be the um, the head of the engineering and technology division in um, NNPC, Nigerian mm. National Petroleum Corporation. Mm. And you were the first woman to head the engineering and technology division. Mm. Um, in such a big organization like NNPC, I can imagine that there are levels of bureaucracy, um, different um, politics. How are you able to navigate all that and rise to the heights that you did? Well, it's it, for, for, for me, because I... When I went into the oil industry, I was um, very qualified. When I say very qualified, you remember I'd come from school to lecturing. From lecturing, I sandwiched with the consulting stint. So by the time I went into NMPC, I was quite um, versed in all the different aspects. But then I still had to start as an assistant chief engineer still going through the little projects until I got to the bigger projects. But I say what what made me stand out is that I was um, quite I was quite diligent and dedicated in my work. I think my work actually spoke for me more than 
because I, I didn't I didn't play politics. When I say I didn't play politics, I did not align with anybody. I didn't align with any boss, any mm. group. I just did my work. And I just they just couldn't help but notice that I was doing the work. And that's what helped me. And maybe divine hand was there too because invariably by the time I got to the position just about GM projects, I was the most senior. So they had to just make me at that time general manager projects. And then the vacancy became for group general there was somebody there. Mm -hmm. But when the vacancy, you know, when the position became vacant, I was the most senior. And I was qualified. Mm. I had done so much work. Mm. So they had no choice. They just had to they just had to promote me there. It was just a natural progression. Mm. Something else that worked well for me was because I didn't see the whole when my whole that time back there as being uh, uh, the the all and all and all because from the beginning when I got into the industry that to the oil industry in particular, I started planning for my exit. I knew that oh someday I would retire. I think initially it was age fifty five, but by the time we left, it was age sixty. Though I left voluntarily a year before that time, I left when I was fifty eight and a half voluntarily. But the thing was that I knew I would have to leave and in, in, inside me I was quite independent minded. I wanted to be running something of my own that I would be able to run into old age. Because I know that it, when people retire and they have nothing to do, it's, it makes people sick. So for some they die quicker than their time. So from the beginning I was looking ahead at something I could do. And that's how we, we Daddy, Nigeria Shumodu, said, Ah, look, you like education, you like teaching, you like reading, because I like people to do well and all that. That was how we started the school mm. in 1986, and then uh, in 1987, we started the bookshop because we wanted people to read. So, all my life has always been about, you know, studies, reading, knowledge, being, you know, well educated. I didn't have time so much for trivialities. Yes. No, so I I wasn't. My mind was on, you know. If I got promoted, fine. If I didn't, fine. It was okay because I was busy in my own time. Wow. Anytime I didn't have so much to do in the office, they were doing their policy. Maybe they, there was one new job. They all trouble. I was not. I was not one to trouble for it I, because I had things. I was just planning, you know, on the school. Mm -hmm. So unless they just come and call me, and they know that any any work I was assigned to do, I did it very well. So that just spoke for me all the time. So I think it was just God that just pushed me from one level to another, to another, to another. Mm. And, and that was it. That was it. That was really interesting because yeah. now in, um, in the career space now, a mm. lot of people talk about increasing your visibility, being mm. visible, having mm. people see you, mm. recognize what you do. Mm. But it sounds like for you, it was mm. the complete opposite, that you just did your work and you had your other interests and things outside of the office mm. that you, you also, you know, spent time on mm. and you did not really devote much time to jostling and jockeying for yeah, well, I, I must, uh, Let me quickly uh, add something. The fact that I am a woman, a female, and I did that engineering course stood me out. It wasn't like other 
courses where you have many women, you have numerous women. Those in those in those kind of fields, you probably would have had to, you know, want to be visible, want to, you know, do something extra apart from just your work. You would have to, you know, align, do some alignments here and there. But because a female, and then I was always so confident. And I carried myself, you know, just normally, practically. I didn't have ears. And I didn't go looking like I needed something from anybody. On the other hand, I wasn't... I, 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 at the same time, I wasn't a, I didn't have my nose stuck in the air or because I had a PhD. No, I just <laughs> was I once ordinarily. I said hello cheerfully to everybody. If you ask me, I did so. I did my work well, and of course, people would say that um, I answered a lot of things intelligently and I discussed intelligently. So it was just because of the field in which I was, mm. they couldn't help but notice me. Yeah. That worked for me. Me, I always tell people mm. that for me. That stood me out. Mm. I must say that. Because mm. it's not so for everybody. Yeah. Mm. It's true. not so for everybody. So, uh, generally, there are less women in those um, fields than there are men. And you even mentioned that in your class less, back yeah. then, At that in the time. 70s, you know, you had one female no, civil engineer no, one and one electrical, and then the rest of your class they were, were men. men. Do you think that things have changed? Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to tell you that from reports that I have, mm -hmm. statistics have changed. You now have it, you know, more women doing all these so-called, you know, male-dominated fields. A lot of women have gone into it. Though, if we still look at the ratio, it's still, well, still not there. But at least you have a lot more. Mm -hmm. A lot more doing it, coming out, and doing well. Mm -hmm. But you will know that for such now, because the world too is bigger than it was when we started. Yes, some of them may have to really, you know, because they are not just one off now. There are many. And then because even the boys, I mean, with the, where, where we had the uh, three arms and we had like 40, 40, 40, 120, now you may have uh, 1,000. In, uh, in the uh, different ways, uh, chemical, metallurgy, uh, uh, um, what do you call it, civil, mm -hmm. uh, electrical, you may have 1,000 across. Mm -hmm. So, even if of the 1,000, you have uh, maybe, uh, even if you have 50 women, mm -hmm. it's still small. Mm -hmm. So, those ones still have to kind of show themselves in the, on, in the workspace. In the workspace. In the workspace. Mm -hmm. So, you have a lot more women there now. Mm -hmm. But then, because there are still you have more, more, more people now, how many graduates did they have in 1973 when I graduated in the whole of Nigeria? Mm -hmm. But look at it now. In this year, 2019, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Universities, too, how many universities? We had just uh, four or five at that time, one in each region, and then, you know, Buffet Mewudo Ife. Now, I, I still hear they say we have uh, maybe almost 200 universities. So a lot of things have changed. Mm -hmm. A lot of things have changed. So, really, I would say more women are in it now. But because of the ratios and because of the, the, the bigger world now, yeah. they still have to, they have to prove themselves. Why do you think that there are now more women than there were then in um, sciences, technology, engineering fields? Yeah, the exposure. Mm. The exposure because um, now more parents are, are knowing that... Um, you know, there's nothing that is exclusive preserve of men. 
that it's all brain power. And there are lots of things. And now, you know, when you see the advent of, you know, technology, computer, so many things that you can do, you know, that it's just the brain you need. Yeah. You don't need no, no muscle power. So for a woman not doing the, this, probably going in space, coming out of space, doing all kinds of things, marine engineering, this, and this, you know, it's, the, 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 the views have changed. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's the exposure, the education, yes. the enlightenment. Mm. And what do you think we can do to get even more women into these fields? We just continue, continually expose uh, the, especially the schools, the schools, to let them to acquire the students from the school, right from school. Mm. That's where we, we have to target. I know that uh, the Association of Engineers, you know, the women, they go around schools as much as they can mm. to enlighten students, to encourage them to go into you know, the tertiary institutions to study engineering. I think they are making, you know, they are making progress. Mm. They are making progress. Mm. I think they are, you know, okay. everything, it takes time. It takes time. Yes, yeah. but I think they are making progress. Because at least you have more people now varying into, into, those, into those fields. Mm. And you have a lot of women doing well mm. in those fields. Mm. Okay. Yes. So what do you feel are the qualities that helped you succeed in your career? The fact that God gave me some natural endowment. That was number one. So, I mean, I understood things easily. I could discuss um, intelligently. I, then, of course, I developed the habit of reading a lot so that I could discuss many subjects, maybe a bit about everything. And so the first thing is the, the knowledge. The knowledge, the knowledge. Because you can stand and, you know, you feel confident. That was number one. Number two is the fact that um, I carry myself, you know, in a very unassuming way. I don't, uh, I don't believe that, you know, the world is is so hard that you you have to make so much effort, to, you know, try to please people, try to impress people, try to do things to get attention. No, no, I just be, I was just myself. I didn't, you know, I didn't expect too much from anybody, and therefore, you know, I've never disappointed. I have you know, large number of associates, people that I know, but I'm not a, I'm not a, a you know, not a big talker. Usually, I, I listen a bit more to people, and then I'm always very um, careful in giving my my comments to people because I always imagine being in the other person's shoes. So where where I can help, I help. I give my suggestions in a very conciliatory manner, not just being critical, you know, judgmental you know, because I think I'm brilliant. No, because I know everybody has talent. So the way I carried myself naturally helped me a lot more to succeed. Yes, you get a huge dose of. Of humility but at the same time i had confidence a lot of confidence because that one is given that's why you have to read you know, study make sure you know your onions yeah. make sure you're wherever you are you're able to hold out on your own yeah. don't expect anything and the world to be at your feet but you know at the same time you know and just be kind be kind to people you and daddy started a school um kiddies kingdom private school and a bookshop pataba books 
um, these were things that you had never done before. So, and you both had full-time jobs. So what gave you the confidence that you could do both well and do it with all the other things you had going on in your life? It was a believing in oneself that one could do it. I knew that in, I wasn't the type to idle time like, you know, my Saturdays were spent in the shop, literally, later. And with this, because when I went into NMPC, that's all, I went to NMPC in 1982. The companies were registered about 1986, the school and, and the bookshop. Started in 1987, the school in 86. The first years I just found that my children were now growing up. I had, you know, we, we had, I didn't have so much work at work. Maybe at that time, deliberately, we were not giving the women too much work. I, I found these things to do for myself, planning. That in any case, I didn't plan to just sit down here until I was retired, until I got old and there was nothing else for me to do. Let me start something now. But it was really Daddy uh, who encouraged me. He said, ah, but you like education, you like reading, you like studies. You know, the, this space that we have in Ikeja, near the airport, that's, you know, you can do something fresh. At first, you know, at first, was, ah, how was I going to manage? I said, okay, let's try it. So in between, from going from one site to another, I would stop by. It was, of course, very small. And then I got one or two reliable people to, you know, be looking after it. And so that was how we carried on. And then during the, the when I closed from work sometimes, I would go there, have, well, we went to small, have meetings with them. So that's how we went on. But because I had a lot of, I knew what I wanted, and drafted the plans, what we want them to do. So we, we gave them guidelines and then we gave them you know timelines to do certain things which we were we were checking. Mm -hmm. it, it was really demanding on, on us, I must say, on both Daddy and myself. It was really, really demanding. Mm -hmm. And I remember most Saturdays were spent in the 1988, 1990, we were spent, you know, shopping for things for this shop and then, you know, doing the shop. So it was quite an exciting venture for us, you know, to do. The enthusiasm was there, mm. and so we didn't see it as uh, anything too much. So we rolled everything up mm. together. Yeah. Everything was rolled up together. It wasn't the easiest of things, you know, it cuts back on our social lives. Mm. But so be it, because later on in life, at least it gave us a lot of comfort. Yeah. 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 I remember those years. I remember um, there was a time when Pre the businesses and then Saturdays we could go for parties, mm, birthday yeah. parties, and then once the businesses started, Saturdays were always in the at least in the bookshop. Yes, in most of the time. But I think that it was really good um, training or good grounding for us, at least for me anyway. Um, understanding the value of hard work, of mm. money, of creating time to do things that you are interested in. So. Mm. It, I think it was really good. And mm. I think that a lot of businesses actually, especially um, generational businesses, so mm. businesses that are started mm. by mm. a person mm. and, you know, succeed and grow through different mm. generations. Mm. I think the most successful ones tend to get in, you know, family members mm. involved and growing yes, in yes. the business or yes. understanding the actual business yes. as opposed to just bringing them in to head mm. a business that they have no yeah. knowledge of. Yes. That's right. Mm. That's right. 
Okay. So, um, okay. So you've spoken a bit about how you balance um, your your work and um, well, how you balance the two aspects of your work, um, NMPC work and then also the businesses, the school and the shop. Well, what about making time for your family as well, and even downtime? How how did you um, how did you create some balance for your family? Uh, you know, all that all that time. You know, my children were young. In the initial years, in I was lecturing, and that lecturing job was deliberate. It was very, very deliberate. My, you know, after immediately after my, when I was doing my postgraduate, of course, my time was really my own. I mean, I was not under any kind of schedule. So that was the time I just started you know, having my family. But by the time that I moved on to um, to now really start working, I chose the lectureship. Because it gave me time to still look after my, you know, toddlers, so that I could pick them from school, I could drop them in school, and so on. And then at, at that time, where I was working was quite close to my mom's house, so I could arrange. And I, well, the days I was lecturing, if I wasn't going to be out on time, I quickly arranged for somebody from my mother's in, in business, you know, one of the sewing ladies, to pick my children up and take them to the house, and then I would pick them up and. Uh, would go home. So really, I was I was able to be with my children in those early years. I wasn't just an absent, but I was there, you know, primary school. By the time we had uh, uh, Ayola, our late daughter, she, I, I had to take her early to school about age 18 months. But then, even the others too, at, at the age of two, so they had gone to school. So really, but, and then in my job, I would still come back home. I would still had the time in the in the evening, but what I didn't have was you know socializing. I couldn't socialize. I socialize meaning you know time for you know, party or family gatherings and things like that. I didn't have I didn't have the luxury of time to do all that. That's what had to give way, so that I could spend time with my children, you know, because by the time now in the late eighties, in the late eighties when my children were now okay. I was going into secondary school, two of them. I now that was the time we now could start any of these ventures. Because they now were more advanced in age. But at the same time, I still had to make sure I still had to make sure that whatever it is, whichever way I still pick my children, I came home in the evening. It was it was tough. Yes, it was tough. There's no doubt about it. And I had no time for frivolities. Mm. I had no time for frivolities, for, you know, slouching around, for visiting somebody or the other. I didn't have time. Mm. It was all my work, children. Sometimes my mother would have helped me to do some shopping, you know, so I didn't have to go to the market. But many times I still went to the market with my children. At that time, my children and my house, I could be in the car and I would just rush into Baja Market and buy something to go to Surulele, mm. uh, to go to this, my house in Surulele at that time. And then later on, when we were in Ikoyi, we moved to Ikoyi. I was say I would go to Sangra's market on my way. It, it wasn't it wasn't the easiest of things to do, really. Mm. You had to really be, be really organized, mm. very, very organized. So that the work, the main work will not suffer. Then the side things we were doing, we had an eye to look at them because we didn't want them just to go bad. And then of course the children should not suffer. Mm. Children didn't have to be left with any houses. I I never allowed that to happen. Just leave the child behind and it never happened. Mm. 
It was either with, the, with my mother until I picked them up in the afternoon, or I was with them. Yes. So in between that time that I could move around, but as I said, by the time we started this in 87, 88, by the time we got into those things, uh, they were they were getting on years. Even uh, I about that 88, you know, we started the school in, in the bookshop in 87. Yes. 87. By the time we had the school, we were at 86. Before the school even became anything, it was in the 90s. Mm. Just, just in, so by the time at that time, you can see even Ayola too, who was, uh, who was born in 1981, was already um, nine, ten. Yes. So that was how my own story went. Yes. So don't know two stories that they say. Sometimes when people ask, oh, how did you do that? How did you do that? I said, well, my own is a peculiar thing because of the kind of work that I was doing, like in, you know, first lecturing, it gave me time, flexibility. And that when I went into even NMPC, the work I was doing was not an office of eight to five job. It, I was supervising on the sites. Yeah. So I still had flexibility of time to move around. Yeah. So I wasn't stuck to a, any office in NNPC, no. It was that time I moved around. I did all the other things I wanted to do in between so that in the evening I could still, you know, be with my family. Mm, that's good. That's great. Um, so now you are retired, um, technically though, I mean, you are still really, really active, um, running the school, very busy. Um, so what do you do for fun? Uh, well, it depends on the definition of fun. My, my, I, I interact with a lot of people now. Well, I know I'm not socially going to sit at parties, but I touch so many lives every day. Like if we're in a normal school setting, I would students, counseling, helping, what, you know, encouraging them. I look at their work individually. And that takes up a lot of time. And, but I know that when the students know that you are watching, they do better. They work harder. They are encouraged. They feel somebody loves them. So that is my life. I'm watching all they're teaching them. I'm a teacher too. I teach different things, you know. Then of course I'm watching the teachers themselves. Watching the principal, I'm watching everybody just to make sure that the school is set on a good path, so that they imbibe good values and the enduring ones too. So it's a lot of work for me to do. So and then many times, you know, on my own, I'm on the phone. Somebody with something or the other or the other, and I would say that I'm 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 blessed in the sense that I've had a bit of um, of, of at this point in my life. I've had quite some turbulence in the sense that um, uh, my my late daughter died at a time when you know she wasn't ill, she wasn't sick, she wasn't anything, and then you know she just had an accident. So it was quite a bit of a, got a huge, huge, huge shock. But then you know because I had been reading a lot of books, like I said, I read the, the, the positive power of Jesus Christ. Some federal lecturers gave me. College of Tech in 1981 because I changed my job in 1982. They gave me, and that started changing my life because I now went after all books of Norman Vincent Peale. I read all of them. Then I started reading books of biographies, autobiographies, philosophies, and <coughs> all those things helped me because I know I, I, I saw that people who wade through the storms of life, 
Some of them become really absolutely great, outstanding people, but they had rough times, really rough times. So I know when the storm came, I knew I had to be a survivor. I knew I wasn't going to allow myself to now fall ill and fall apart. So that is helping other people because other people come, they talk to me, not really talk to me about anything tragic. But they just have some issues that they just want a listening ear. Mm. And I'm always able to tell them that, you know, life is for living. You have to you have to live the life. You don't give up. Never give up. Never, you know, be dismayed. Because one life is different from the other life, from the other life, from the other life. So I'm able to give a lot of people scholarships. Many are there. They are scholarships. We don't make noise about it. But they are there. You know, we've passed through so many. Children of cleaners who ordinarily would never be able to do it. Even when they get to university, I still, for some of them, I still support them. Yeah. I give them monthly stipend yeah. that keeps them going because their parents are really indigent. Yeah. So I do a lot of that. In fact, that is on my, my permanent list of what I do all the time. And I hope, you know, to do more and more and more and more. So when you say fun, I read a lot. Yeah. I read it. I still read a lot. I still love reading. I love. Um, watching a few probably more of news and a few of the local movies when I can although many times I don't have the patience to watch one through but you know I watch bits and pieces of it and catch something from it and then I, I try to you know be trendy on what is going on so at least I'm able to discuss it intelligently <laughs> <laughs> so really my life is just um, out of service I'm, I, I, I hope to do more in whatever areas I can. Right now, you know, I took off from Engineer Shomulu with supporting the Down Syndrome Foundation of Nigeria. So my family, our family, we are very much involved in that and I, I want us to keep it up because those children, it's not their fault. And I remember that I had that slant from secondary school because the only society I belonged to was, uh, you know, for the one for <laughs> visiting uh, the children in the we, we call it social services club in mm. Queen's College at that time. We, uh, visiting uh, people in Ch children in Cheshire home, children in Mudukweko homes, because they were those ones were on from that time. Old people's home in Lagos, and there was another home, you know, on that Ibiuro uh, side we used to visit. So, do you have any goals um, that you have not yet um, accomplished that you're still looking forward to? you know, to ticking off, and what are your other hopes and aspirations for the future? Yeah, I'm 70 this year. I still hope to live many, many years, whatever God gives me. But really, I would say that uh, whatever I have done so far, I just want to make sure that um, I, you like the school, now I want it to have a good you know, structure and a good um, kind of tradition that when the later generation is coming to run it. It will be easy for them, you know, to run it because it's something that is a, it's a social service venture. It's not really just a money making. No, it's just something that gives you a purpose, a sort of purpose for living, mm -hmm. and it keeps yours. And of course, you know, just to make sure that um, the bookshop, which we are now trying to restructure, gets on really, really good because it's something that I've always loved. I always go in the bookshop and I just love it. So I hope that even the future we'll be able to have something even 
bigger than that, you know, that we can, um, can really work on. So those are the things, you know, but I know my children are capable you know, to do all this. So really, I don't have anything that, uh, okay, oh, something I've not, it's just work in progress on the things that are on ground. Just try to live a healthier life now. Healthier life. As one grows older, you find that oh, there are all kinds of comorbidities that will appear. So one has to try and keep fit, you know, do exercises and all that. So really, when I wake up every day, I'm a happy person. Uh, I'm a happy person. I don't have any regrets. I've gone through a lot of turbulence, but I believe that God allowed them and God pulled me through. That the rest of my life, I should just continue doing good, you know, whichever way I can, to whoever I can, you know, whichever way I can, and, and that is it, you know, and just to live a healthy life. I don't want to, you know, fall sick at all. I want to live in good health till the day that God says, yeah, the time is up. Yes. So I pray for many years so that I love to see my grandchildren growing up, you know, having fun with them. I pray. I pray. Just, yeah. Wonderful, yes. wonderful. Thank you so much, Mommy, for yeah. sharing your life story with, with, with me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I learned some things, you know, that um, even a few things that I think I, I didn't know, you know, about your yeah. life. So thank you well, so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on The Other Room in Conversation with my mother, Dr. Olatokumbo Shomolu. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Um, my mom is such a fount of wisdom and all through my life, her advice, her encouragement, um, sometimes admonishment um, has really helped me grow and stretch and become the woman that I am today. Um, in this episode, my mom spoke about the power of being focused, uh, hard work, and also the courage to try new things. Um, I hope that, you know, these are qualities that I have also been able to imbibe and that I, I, I display, you know, in my life and in my decisions today. Um, I want to thank all of you for tuning in to the show, to the podcast um, I want to thank you for all your feedback, uh, be it uh, privately or social media, for subscribing to the podcast, for rating and reviewing the podcast. I see it all. I appreciate it all. And everything that you've given has helped this um, season be what it is. Um, really, the love has been overwhelming. But season two is going to be bigger and better. We're going to take a break because um, it's hard work putting a podcast together. But I mean, don't fear. Um, I'll be back later on in this year. I also want to thank all the incredible women who um, accepted my invitation to appear on the podcast, um, to speak, to share their life stories. I mean, it was for me an honor and a blessing. And I hope that it was an honor and a blessing for you all too. So until season two, keep living your life with boldness and joy. Bye.